0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We pray the true and living God will be with us. And as uh, we thank him for allowing us to be part of this, his ministry. The LDS, I've just learned from uh, a number of people, have come out with a press release uh, totally renouncing any racism of the past and uh, completely separating themselves from Brigham Young teaching on, uh, on blacks and the priesthood. We're gonna cover that in depth at the opening of next week's show. As we looked at the church website tonight, uh, there's too much information for me to just kind of uh, summarize it here. So we're gonna go through it at the beginning of next week's show and get to it. Let me address something here because it's gonna lead into an announcement we're gonna make next. I was recently pointed uh, to the Heart of the Matter Disgrace book page, which I rarely have the chance to uh, frequent because I have an inability to handle some of the stuff that's said there. But anyway, there was a man on the page who uh, stated uh, that challenging my stance on Calvinism there on Facebook was a good thing because according to him, he was making me accountable. That's what it said. And uh, I read that and I literally laughed out loud And I wanna take a couple of seconds to respond to that comment about uh, them making me accountable there on Facebook. First of all, in this ministry, the volunteers who are in it, those who work in it, those of my family, we have been through far too much at the hands of Christian men and women to ever, ever consider ourselves accountable to flesh and blood. Um, I am not accountable to any man. Now, I know that terrifies some people when they hear that. I am not accountable to any man uh, or woman in flesh and blood. I will submit to the insights and ideas of men and women I admire and trust. Uh, But in terms, for instance, like in terms of finances for the ministry, uh, I've I've never even seen them. Uh, Derek gives me a report. I'm not even a, a, a signer on the accounts at the bank. I couldn't even walk in and get anything. Uh, So in that respect, I'm accountable to Derek and Danita who handle uh, that side of the ministry for us. But in terms of what I say and what we teach and how I say things and what I believe the Bible says, I am only accountable to God Uh, uh, and only God. So I don't think there's anything under the sun that's going to change that. And it's my hope, however, that you will see this as a positive and not a negative, and let me try to explain why. You see, with him as the focus of who I want to please and impress and try to really get through to the truth of things, I don't have to worry about making decisions of whether I'm gonna please men or please God. If there's a board of men who believe something that is not congruent, and I have a fear of, of displeasing the board, then there's, there's a likelihood that I will side with what the men want and not with what God wants. So mine is not a nature to try and fool God. So with this in place, I think we're all better off because it is my nature to try to fool men. And, and so understand those of you who think you're making me accountable, you're dreaming. Uh, It's not gonna happen, I will teach and say what I believe to be true, and I don't care one whit whether it's popular or not, as long as it's true according to the best contextual examination of the Bible as possible. And I do make mistakes, absolutely, and I'm willing to, to listen to when those contextual arguments are made. But this being said, we wanna thank our financial supporters for your willingness to trust us and give us some leeway on topics that are certainly difficult to hear and sometimes very difficult to even teach. So we appreciate you being here through thick and thin more than you'll ever know. It's not always easy to support a ministry that will challenge the status quo in what has always been taught or believed or practiced. We went through a similar phase in 2012 elections. You may remember that when we stood up and said, we don't care what American evangelicalism says, a Mormon should not be in the highest office of the land. Even if it's best for the country, even if it's best for us fiscally, a Mormon should not be in that office. Likewise today, uh, there are those who who threaten to abandon support when we broach subjects like Calvinism. Uh, or eternal punishment, or other issues related to uh, salvation and eschatology, miracles, uh, faith healing, name it and claim it, uh, health and wealth, uh, um, whether Mormons are Christian or not, all these different things that come up, um, uh, we have people who threaten to pull support from that, we hope our viewers know that we have a deep and abiding commitment to trying to teach the word contextually, to preaching Jesus as the only way uh, to salvation and the word of God that it can be trusted. But we will teach what we believe to be true and do our best homework to substantiate what we say. So on that you can rely. Having said this, we have this tremendous news to share. Starting in the first quarter of 2014, we are launching our own 24/7 television, we're gonna call it a network, a television network. It will be called The Heart of the Matter Television Network, the byline being giving God a chance to make sense. And we are going to orchestrate all of our programming that we have in the can for uh, Heart of the Matter, for our sermons, et cetera, into this one channel as a means to create a -a one-of-a-kind altogether sort of unique Christian television network. Within the first quarter, you will be able to find the Heart of the Matter Television Network here in Utah on KPDR 19.3. Now that is a local channel. It reaches all along the Wasatch Front about a quarter of a million households. That's how we're gonna start. Uh, KPDR uh, is uh, seen by many households and we're hoping to add to the Christian venue. Uh, We're hoping that once we have established the station, 24-7 24-7 with programming, and we're talking about programming, any good quality programming that teaches good, sound, biblical uh, principles, then we are going to try to get on cable. That's the next step. You go from local to cable. Once we're on cable, then we'll try to put it on uh, larger uh, networks throughout their Dish, Direct, et cetera. So what will make HOTM Television Network unique when compared to other Christian stations like Trinity or Daystar or the like will be our unique approach to doing Christian TV in three areas, Uh, in programming, in our graphics and appearance, and in our financial model. So let me sort of explain these before going to prayer and getting to our message. Our programming is gonna be unique because we're not gonna air Christian shows that focus on miracles, that pander for you sending money in for health and wealth, prosperity, teachings, speaking in tongues, healings, no Benny Hinn, no Michael Murdoch, no charlatans begging for seed money for Jesus. It isn't gonna happen on the Heart of the Matter television network. We will not host programs that preach Calvinism or focus endlessly on eschatology and end times and saying, this guy is the antichrist. We will absolutely avoid any Christian programming that talks about politics and says who we should be looking at in politics. We are looking for pastors and ministers who teach the word, preferably verse by verse, but they don't have to, who understand the word and teach it contextually and are reasonable and are loving, we don't have to agree with everything that they say, but they are proponents of God's grace and love and message of salvation taught through the Bible. Naturally, a great deal of our programming hours will be focused on Mormonism. We plan to break the week up into seven segments. Mondays will be Mormon Mondays, and all the programming from 6 a.m. to midnight will be on Mormonism. Tuesdays are Talk Tuesdays, where people have done interviews, talk interviews, internet, television, Whatever we'll take those and air those on the Heart of the Matter television network. Wednesdays are going to be focused on nature, wild Wednesdays. Thursdays on theology. Friday is Fringe Friday. We're going to give every fringe group out there a right to be heard, and then we're going to respond to the, with the Christian response. The homosexual community, the atheists, the... Uh, Whatever they are, we will give them a voice and then we will respond with the Christian response in a good dialogue way. Saturdays will be soteriological Saturdays where we will focus on Jesus, the cross, salvation, grace, love. And Sundays, we're gonna call Sunday, sundry Sundays and we're gonna have uh, over the pulpit preachings all day long. From 12 midnight to six in the morning, we're going to have um, uh, the word of God, which is put to music, which we use here, play throughout the night with messages about scripture, messages about Christ coming up in between them as people who can't sleep can sit there and reflect upon the word. Uh, Naturally, um, it's gonna take a while to get it going. Secondly, you can expect a very non-traditional approach when it comes to the overall appearance uh, uh, and presentation on the HOTM television network from the sets to the graphics, to the music, to the commercials. We will brand all of it with our own specific style. And look, our family is very much into art. We will see a lot of artistic representations and they won't be uh, Jesus riding on a white horse with lightning bolts in his hands. They won't be rainbows. They won't be the standard stuff you see. It will be uh, a little bit more reasoned, a little bit more uh, stuff. No wood paneling and ferns with toupee hosts talking over rainbow graphics. You're not gonna see it because we're gonna do something that we think is different, that will appeal to with an artistic aesthetic to people who say, you know, I just can't even watch that because it's so, you know, oh, I just feel like I gotta scratch myself uh, watching this thing. We wanna make that a little different. And then finally, when it comes to station finances, we are going to take a very different approach to people getting on the airways. We wanna make it as close to free as possible for ministries and pastors to air their programs. And um, so in lieu of ministers paying high prices for uh, presentations, we want to share in the intellectual property rights of the programs that we air. So if somebody wants to air their stuff, we're not gonna charge them necessarily. If we did, $10, $20 instead of 400 or 4,000 and we will then share in the intellectual property rights so we can use that programming over and over and over again in the future. We hope that this approach will give unheard and unfunded Christian ministers and ministries, men and women, a chance to reach, teach, and serve the King in and through their distinctive talents and uh, who don't have, uh, it doesn't cost them an arm and a leg to do it. It's our hope that over time, the appreciative viewership will come along behind HOTM Television Network and support it that way, rather than having the individual uh, ministries paying us to be on the program. We're doing this because we've been on the other end. We've been there where we had a program where we wanted people to see it and everywhere we went, people were saying, whoa, we love Heart of the Matter. It's a great show. Come on, be on our radio station, be on our TV station. And this is what it's gonna cost you, an arm and a leg. And we'd have to say, well, we can't do it. I mean, years ago, I got a call from Paul Crouch of TBN and he, he wanted, he loved Heart of the Matter. So we want Heart of the Matter on TBN. And some of you who know our show uh, heard us talking about that. We thought, wow. And we had people say, don't do it. You know what, they're nuts. And we had other people say, it'll give you great exposure. So we seriously considered it till they told us it was $4,500 a week to have Heart of the Matter on that uh, network for one hour. And you see, if that's what's happening, then what happens is the ministries have to pander for money. And then if they're pandering for money, they can't say anything that will ruffle feathers. And so they stop preaching the truth. And so what they do is they pander to what people want to hear. Laodiceans, the people speak. We're gonna get away from that and we, and we hope that this model will do it. So in the name of Jesus, through this approach, my friends, we, um, we will continue our independent way We will do all we can to present a genuine, rational, biblical approach to God. Naturally, we need your prayers. And of course, if led and inclined of the Lord, and you're not on a fixed income, uh, please consider helping us get this new Christian television network launched. We are sending a newsletter out to all of you who are on our list to let you know the specifics. Before we get to our message tonight, we wanna remind you of something that's going on in Arizona. That's helping Heart of the Matter branch out into another area of uh, media. Take a look.
1: Hi, I'm Aaron Tonnell, and like many of you, I'm an ex-Mormon. I spent most of my life in the church, held many callings, and served a mission speaking Spanish in the Dominican Republic. But I left the church and came to Christ at the age of 32 in 2012. After I left the church, I started thinking about how I could help LDS people to know more about the church and traditional Christianity. Living in Arizona and Mexico, I would kept up pretty well with my Spanish over the years, so I started talking to some Latin Americans about the church in Spanish. I figured my efforts might be well spent in trying to clean up the mess that I had made as a Spanish-speaking missionary so many years ago. It took me about five minutes to realize that there are very few resources in foreign languages to confront the church with. There are no historical documents, really, no journal of discourses, no questionable quotes from leaders, and no targeted doctrinal challenges. The Church takes extreme care and works tirelessly to present a perfectly uniform, one-sided perspective of its history and its doctrines. The Church will not translate anything that it finds to be challenging, especially its own true history and its uh, older and original publications. There are a few personal blogs out there, a podcast or two, and a couple of YouTube videos. The best information right now is actually coming from Joel Groats' team over at IRR.org. It has some excellent uh, short articles on the historical and doctrinal claims of Mormonism in the Spanish language, but really this just isn't enough. The church has had its sights on Latin America for years now, and it's virtually uncontested down there. What we really need is a Spanish version of mormonthink.com and a Spanish Heart of the Matter. So I contacted Sean McCraney and also a good friend from Mexico, Efren Casillas, who is a web designer, and we launched into this project a few months ago. Uh, we've been working full throttle on creating a duplicate uh, Spanish webpage of mormonthink.com at the website mormonesparajesus.com. We're doing this in conjunction with dubbing Heart of the Matter in Spanish and potentially other languages too. It's my opinion and that of others that these specific tools, these two compact and powerful tools, MormonThink and Heart of the Matter, are the most efficient at helping LDS learn the difficult issues uh, in Mormonism and find the answers they need in Christianity. We're working hard on developing these resources. We've managed to translate about half of the Mormon Think website and we're at about 25 episodes or 7% of the Heart of the Matter series. Uh, these episodes are currently available on our YouTube page and soon we should have direct links to them on the Heart of the Matter hotm.tv website. Originally, I had anticipated being able to simply dub the episodes on the fly without any preparation. Uh, And I thought I could get through the whole series of Heart of the Matter this way in about six six months or so. But after doing a few, it became very apparent that we would really need to do this the right way. Even though it would take longer, a more professional approach would have a better impact. So we began transcribing the text of the episodes, which then allows us to have documents that we can translate later into any language. And then dub the shows with these, starting with uh, Spanish. So this is where we actually need help. If you've been looking for a way uh, to help and talk to LDS people but you don't really know how, then this is a good place where we need it. Uh, we need people who can get into the archives, the old shows with us and just type out each week's message. This is an enormous undertaking trying to translate this and we really need all hands on deck. For years the church has been sending missionaries into foreign lands. People like you and I sacrifice thousands of dollars learned a foreign language and spent two years of our lives spreading this false gospel in places that are just unprepared for that. We created an ecclesiastical mess and so later on we came to find out the truth about the church and the destruction that it causes and are we willing to go clean up that mess? If we're not going to do it, who is? So here's our contact information. If you can help with this, please let us know. We need your help. You don't have to speak a foreign language at all. You just need to be willing to go through these old episodes and and type them out. And if you can translate, that's a bonus. So send us a message, and we'll definitely put you to work.
0: He's a very well-spoken young man, isn't he? I think he's a good replacement for me once I have the big one. All right. With that, let's have a word of prayer. We thank Aaron for the work he's doing. And there's some avenues opening up where we might be even in cable TV here with the Spanish translated heart of the matters. So we'll keep all this in prayer, Lord. We need you in all things. Pray that you'll be with our viewers tonight, wherever they are, and those who are tuning in through other media sources in the future, uh, that they are seekers of truth, and your spirit will open their eyes and minds to the things we talk about. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's get right into it. Picking it up from last week. Last week we presented what we believe is a viable alternative to five-point Calvinism and Mormonism's doctrinal explanation of how God saves humankind from itself. Remember? Siding strongly with God's sovereignty, Calvinists essentially say he, because he's sovereign, picks certain people to save, it's a limited number of course, essentially leaving the unpicked doomed to burning forever in a fiery hell. Alternatively, Arminianists, which is closely related to LDS soteriology, weighs in more heavily on the side of free will. And they say, listen, salvation is in the hand of the individual. God isn't picking. He would like all of you to come, but the individual has to kind of step up and do it, which leaves most of the human race, again, like Calvinism, uh, burning in hell. So repulsed by the long-term ramification of these two ways or systems or doctrines of how God uh, uh, saves humanity, uh, we suggested another alternative. And we, I do believe it is biblical one that says the absolute sovereign god grants free will because he's a good god and not a despot and by and through his foreknowledge of our vast and varied choices he orchestrates all things and will in the end accomplish his sovereign will which is ultimately to reconcile all of humanity to himself through Christ. Now in this way, we can see how God has and will elect some nations to perform certain things, like the nation of Israel, children of Israel, how he will elect some people to compose the body of Christ the firstborn, the elect, the firstfruits, how some will be allowed to exercise their free will and go and suffer in hell for a time, and how some will be reconciled only by passing through fire. But in the end, he has made means and ways for all in and through Christ to come to him. When everything is said and done, we will see that all, through some means or another, will ultimately confess, Jesus is Lord on bended knee and will ultimately be reconciled to him by and through his son. Certainly, certainly, hear it clearly, there will be marked differences in the eternities between believers and non-believers here on earth. Just as Christians acknowledge there will be marked differences between Christians who are full of love here on earth and Christians who are not. Um, But in my opinion, and from what I can tell from Scripture, this alternative approach to soteriology is the only one that agrees with God being holy, sovereign, being just, being fair, being merciful, and being love without fail. This is the only approach I can see a God who lives up to the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love never fails. Because if he doesn't live up to this, if this is not the way he redeems man, then love has failed and he has quit and he does give up. And that is not what he says we should do if we truly love in 1 Corinthians 13. So give me a few more weeks to point out a few things. I'm gonna give you just one tonight. I want to talk about the very biblical concept of first fruits and as it relates to the reconciliation of all humankind through Christ. The word used for first fruits in the Greek is arkin, and it generally applies to the first fruits of an agricultural harvest, okay? The fruit or product that is first collected and then given to God as a gift to him. Now, uh, the idea is that because God has poured out his blessings upon people, abundance of blessings from, uh, let's just say, hundreds of acres of apples, because he has blessed that harvest with such bounty, he just, uh, the, the, the first fruits are collect the best from that harvest and offer it up to God. Built into the idea of agricultural first fruits is an order there is a ranking and, uh, and how it applies to the harvest. So let's say you have that grove of apple trees and you wanna give the first fruits of the grove to God. It doesn't mean the very first apples to show up on the tree. It, in fact, we learned from Leviticus 19.23 that when it came to the tree, first fruits, God says, let the grove go through four harvest cycles before you ever pick for yourself or for me. So it's not the first fruit to come up on the tree, but the order and rank involved in first fruits applies to the first acceptable harvest as a whole, and then to the rest of the harvest thereafter. This is how the Jews did it. You have an apple grove, let's just say. The first fruits were the best of that entire grove after four cycles of of the grove producing apples, okay? Then they would go and pick the very best from that grove, offer that to God, Then there would be a remainder in that grove that would all be taken, and then there would be gleanings. That would be apples that were too high or you dropped on accident, and the gleaners would come in and pick up the rest and gather them. We remember when Jesus, he fed the masses the fish. He changed the fish and the loaves of bread and everybody ate, and then what did he tell his apostles? He said, and the leftovers, take them and stomp on them, we don't care. Who cares about those leftovers? He doesn't. He says, Go and collect it all. He says, So that none is lost. That's what he says. There's a reason for that. There's a picture for that, you see. Numbers 18, 12 says it well relative to first fruits. This is what God says And all the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them I have given thee. When it comes to human beings, however, the first fruits are the, of the womb are the firstborn son, and it pictures Jesus Christ being the firstborn, only begotten of God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So firstfruits in both the agricultural sense and in the human family sense are very important to God. Ezekiel forty-eight fourteen says, speaking of firstfruits, and they shall not sell of it, neither exchange, nor alienate the firstfruits of the land, for it is holy unto the Lord. So in accordance uh, to God and his sovereign ways and perfect foreknowledge, the idea of firstfruits, picturing his only begotten son, was initiated from the beginning and was pictured in the farming and agricultural community of the Jews. Remember, first fruits include elements that relate to being the best, being the first, and having a rank, having a rank as compared to everything else that is going to come. So remember, first fruits, there's an order, there's a rank, they're the best, but they are not the only. They are just, they're just ranked as the number one. Okay, let me repeat it. First fruits include the notions of the best of a crop, the first best of the crop, and are numero uno in rank among all the other fruit that will come. Okay, when God created everything in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve included, he looked back and he said, it is good. And so Adam and Eve were the first fruits of all humanity the very first and God said it is good. They were first in rank, number one in the human family and they were good, okay? God gave them a choice to love him, therefore obey him, or to choose their own will and way and to disobey. Did God know what they would do? Certainly, which is why scripture says that the son was slain from the foundation of the world. But did others follow in after Adam and Eve? Yes, they did. After the first and the best that God created, others came. All the way down to each of us today. Just remember this concept, I'm going to get to the reason why. With the first fruits of the human race failing to love God, God elected a nation above all other nations. He said, you are my chosen people, I will be your God, you will be my people. Children of Israel, follow me, okay? And they became the first fruits of many nations to follow, didn't they? Were they the only nation? No, but they were the first. Romans 11:16, speaking of the nation of Israel and likening them to a tree God created and elected for specific purposes says, speaking of Israel, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. But this first fruit nation, like Adam and Eve, like the first fruit couple, failed to live the law and failed to choose God. Now listen, this is key. Just as more individuals came after the first fruit couple, Adam and Eve, filling the earth, so did other nations follow in after the first fruit nation, who also failed to choose God, ultimately killed the Messiah. How many nations were open to what the first fruit nation had ultimately? All of them, right? Was there, has there been any nation excluded from what the nation of Israel had? No, the temple veil was written to when Jesus died. It's open to all now. So the first fruit nation thought, well, we're it, but now all nations have it. Okay, stay with me almost there. God has elected based on his foreknowledge of what Adam and Eve and the nation of Israel would do, he has used them so he could bring about his goodwill and pleasure, not because he respected them anymore, not because they were more righteous or, or better in any sense, but because of his foreknowledge of what they would do. Okay, so we know that God then sent his only begotten son and, and the first fruits of God and of Mary because he was the first child to come from Mary, and he's the only begotten Son of the Spirit of God the Father. He's the first fruits above any and all. In many ways, Jesus was not just the first fruit, he was the first and only, you see? So let me explain. He was first and only born of a virgin, no other. He was first and only without sin. He was first and only to come down from above. He was first and only to obey the law and having been the best, the first, and of the first rank in the order of humanity who would follow God, a second Adam as it were, he became the first fruits then in overcoming death and sin and the grave. He's the first fruit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15:20. it says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of all who slept, of them that slept. So everybody is going to rise. He is the firstfruits, the very best. He never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. That's how he overcame sin and death. Because of him, all mankind, every rank will be resurrected, or as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. And then it goes on and talks about the resurrection of the uh, damned. So then with him as the only reliable and trustworthy and holy first fruit of God, all mankind are brought into the harvest due to him and his work, not their own because of him and his. So with Christ leading the way, Romans 8, 23 calls us believers in him. Okay. We're following in after him, the first fruits of the spirit so now we have another first fruits that are coming forward. The first fruits of those who have been regenerated in the Spirit. We are of first rank, therefore, best of all in the Spirit. Okay? We have decided, chosen to believe, and the Spirit's regenerated us, and we are the first fruits of, of the Spirit. Not the only, not the last, but we are the first. There's many more to come. First fruits play such an important role in in God achieving his pleasure and will that when a person became a believer in an area, for instance, if you were the first believer in Salt Lake City, you would be called the first fruits of that area. And Paul says in Romans 16, five, speaking of Bataeanus, likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apanetus, who is the first fruits of Acacia under Christ. So again, even in an area, you can be the first fruits of many to come. I'm almost there. First fruits does not mean there's no fruit coming later. It merely signifies the best, the first in rank, the first among many to follow. Adam and Eve were followed by more people, weren't they? The nation of Israel was followed by more nations, weren't they? Jesus, the first resurrected, was and will be followed by more. Won't he? Even the first believers or first fruits in an area are followed by more and more. So while believers in Jesus are considered the first fruits of the Spirit, believers in Jesus, his church, his body, this in no way means there will not be more coming. Um, in fact, listen to what James says the church is. Are you ready? James 1.18 of his own will, of his own good pleasure, begat he us with the word of truth. He did it according to his election based on his foreknowledge. That we, talking about believers in the church, should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Do you know what that says? It says that the body Believers in Christ, we're but the first fruits of the creatures that he's going to bring. That's what it's saying. I hope that makes you think. I hope it makes you step back and see. There's been a model in this idea of first fruits and then the larger harvest and then the gleanings. And that model that the children of Israel did is right there for us when we look at the method of soteriology that God uses to bring about his goodwill and pleasure. How will he do it? Through all these different means. We've had the law, we've had the Lord, we've had church. We are gonna have fire. We're gonna have the very most difficult, reprobate, stubborn people who ultimately will bow the knee and confess Jesus is the Lord. Whatever it takes, his will will be done. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413. 5908413. 5908413. We'll come back and go to Elisa in Dayton, Ohio. But first, take a look at this. Lisa in Dayton, Ohio, you are on Heart of the Matter. Welcome, Elisa. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Hey, I got your, I'm good. I got your book. It's
0: awesome. Oh, good. Which one?
2: You actually sent me, uh, I was born again Mormon, and Mormonism is critical cool little Christianity, but I haven't
0: started reading that one yet. Oh, oh, good. I'm glad you're enjoying them. So, how is it out there? Were you ever LDS?
2: Yeah, I, I was uh, born in the covenant and I got out about when I turned 18 and I went to college and I met my husband because he's definitely the one for me. We've been together since 1997 and uh, he wasn't about to become Mormon because he had too much sense for all that.
0: <laughs> wow. So what's <laughs> yeah. happening?
2: So I, I very gradually kind of over the last uh, uh, first few years of leaving the house when I was 18, I kind of got out of it kind of gradually, but I guess I was just curious about, you know, my religious roots and everything lately because I've been bored and stuff, looking it up, but it's actually really fascinating for me to learn about, like, early church history and the church that my parents still belong to. It helps me kind of understand them a little bit better. Yeah. And uh, so your show is just really cool. I'm, like, watching all the episodes. I'm up to, like, 140 right
0: now. You poor woman. So uh,
2: any yeah, questions? <laughs>
0: any questions or comments for the audience tonight?
2: I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little confused about this. If you if, say you heard about Jesus, but then like rejected him, would you go to hell, or would you only go to hell if you rejected him after you were saved? Because I'm a little confused about that. And then on another totally separate kind of question. It's a small, easy question. What does "stony heart" mean? Oh, because in your book you said you or something about the stony heart goes away, and like that was that was that sounds like a nice experience. I don't really understand
0: what that means. <laughs> well, let me answer that last question first, and then we'll go to the first one. Uh, "Stony heart" is kind of a biblical reference for a hard heart, and and here's yeah. this is kind of a graphic thing, Elisa, but uh. in the Old Testament, God had men cut off the foreskin of that member called circumcision. They cut away that, that hard callous skin and it was symbolic of what all people, men and women would do once Christ came and that would be circumcise the heart. You see the heart becomes really hard and it gets calloused around it and so I had a stone, they called it a stony heart meaning a heart that hard like a rock. And, and so it becomes okay. soft through the Holy Spirit. And that's what that reference is referring to. A stony heart, it, better in our language, we'd say uh, a, a heart of rock. And uh, you don't yeah. want to have a heart of rock relative to God.
2: Yeah, I think I get it. Because not mean
0: like jaded kind of. And then like, yeah, you become jaded, yes.
2: Yeah, you're like distrustful and stuff like that. Yeah. That makes sense to
0: me, Yeah. You know. Yeah, and but, you know, when you walk by faith and you really trust in God, uh, huh? your heart gets softened toward other people and their plight, and you're able to love instead of being so critical. What makes the heart hard for religious people is the law. You know, when you yeah. tell somebody <laughs> you have to do this, you will become hard toward other people. You'll say, you're not doing that. You need to do this. And that law makes your heart heart. Well, Jesus came and he brought grace. And so the heart can be soft in and through him. Now, in terms of the other question, bottom line, Jesus said it. He said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sin. That's what he said. And, and so uh, the whole point is, you believe in Christ, that he is the one. You will not die in your sin. You will die uncondemned. Don't believe that he is the one. Don't believe he paid for those sins. You'll die in your sin. That's that's bottom line the point. So in terms of people believing and not believing, it's just really all about that. Did that sort of touch on your question? Um. Yeah, pretty much. I, I just think
2: like with anything that's kind of, like, does it takes a while for people to like, really get it? It's, yeah. Like, well, that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm getting it, <laughs> but I ain't got it. Yeah, you know, I don't totally understand it
0: yet. All right. Well, let me ask you a few questions because we have Jordan in Norfolk, Virginia. But let me ask you a few questions, okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what do you, who are you, Elisa, relative to God? Who do you think you are? How do you, what is your standing before God right now? I
2: don't know. I'm nobody.
0: You're nobody. I know,
2: probably, probably, God don't pay no attention to me because you
0: know. Oh, He does. He He pays attention to you, and He loves know. He loves you greatly. And so, uh, if if you were to pass away today, Elisa, what would you say to God as the reason that you should be with Him now?
2: I seriously doubt that I deserve to be anywhere
0: near God. You know. Good attitude. You you probably don't. So then what would yeah. be the what would be the thing, Alisa, that would make the life that you have lived, you, you're very humble, that would make you right before God. He sent his son, he so loved you, he sent his son to die for your sin. And all the yeah. things. Yeah. And so do you believe that and accept that?
2: Um I'd like to, it's very scary to try and, you know, say that you want to believe in something.
0: So you're afraid? <laughs> you know,
2: because, because, you know, having been like a, um, you know, former Mormon and, and stuff, it's like, well, I finally got that gone out of my life. But, you know, I would be very disappointed if it turned out later that, you know, then later I was like, Okay, Christianity was wrong, too, you know? Fooled again, yeah. It's there... very scary to say, you know, to say that, but it's, it's like, you know, one of the most uh, beautiful concepts I've ever thought of, and it would, you know, it, if you could really believe that, I thought you'd have a lot of peace, you know? I well, can see why people really embrace it. Listen. It's difficult for me to, to wrap my head around it, though.
0: That's okay. I, just,
2: I, I never even heard Grace explained until, you know, I was watching your shows Man, I was
0: only watching your shows. I was like, you know,
2: because I was curious, I guess, about, you know, yeah. you know like, so, oh, what does this crazy guy have to say <laughs> you know, about my old crazy church? Everybody,
0: well, I tell you yeah. what, Elisa, you've probably heard me do this on the show before. It's uh-huh. not really, you're not the one who's going to go up and say, okay, God, now you can save okay. me. So listen, do, take this challenge, okay? Will you take a challenge? Okay, just a all right, challenge. All right.
2: Let me just okay. I'm kind of like afraid, you know, because you know, on your show and stuff, you make a really good point. You're like, these Mormons are based in their based on this feeling, you know, this wonderful feeling. Well, I get good feelings all different places in the world or different kinds of experience, in church, not in church, you know. So, like, if I, I mean. Isn't it the same thing? No. Saying, you know, like,
0: oh, I believe blindly, you know? No. I don't, I don't
2: really get it. Okay. I don't understand. <laughs> All right,
0: Elisa, just listen to the yeah. challenge, okay? Huh? Just listen to the challenge.
2: Okay, go ahead. Okay.
0: You don't have to, don't, uh, it's very simple. You go to God directly. You don't believe me, a pastor, uh-huh. your husband, Go to God, you, and you say, I want to know truth. If you really do, and, and I think you do, he will show you the truth. He will open your eyes and ears and heart, and you will be converted and you will be healed. But you have to go and believe that he is, and say, all right, you're there, I wanna know or if you, even if you're not there, I'm willing to know the truth if you'll show me. You have that right. There you're stripping away religion, you're stripping away television guys, streaming guys, yeah. you go to him and just say, show yeah. me. Now then wait, Alisa, for him to begin okay. to open your eyes. And then yeah. it's not a feeling, you'll just begin to see him and his word differently. One last thing. Just open up the book of John, the gospel of John, and start reading casually, one verse. I have to go get a Bible now. Well, we'll send you a Bible. You stay on the oh, air. No. Stay on the Sometimes air. Don't know. De- Derek is back there. Mo- he, well, he moved. And that means we will send you a Bible. So you stay on the line. We're gonna get your address. We're gonna send you a Bible. Open it up to John and just read.
2: All right. All right. Well, I'm very, I. I think that, I think that if, it, if I was to really sort of embrace the whole thing, it'd probably be a good thing for me, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, and that's, know. Kind of, that's an okay that's reason.
2: <laughs> I'd like to give it a try, maybe.
0: But, I Elisa, Elisa.
2: It's, I'm just so afraid to get wrapped up in something, you know?
0: I don't blame you. I would be afraid, too, yeah. after being Mormon. Listen.
2: Yeah, that's... exactly. Thank yeah. you.
0: But, listen, that's why we do the yeah. show. Alisa, yeah. it's okay yeah. to want to do it because it would be good for you and your family, but that doesn't mean anything in the eternal realm. You really want to, you really want to do it because he's reached you, and that, that's when everything changes. So you don't have to worry about doing it because it's good for you. That's just called religion. Wait till you know okay. from him, all right? Okay. <laughs> okay, stay on the line. We'll get your address.
2: Okay, thank you, son.
0: Okay, bye. Oh, I love that. I can do that all day. Let's go to Jordan in Norfolk, Virginia. Hey, Jordan, you're on the air. Hey, Sean, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm
3: good, man. I called you two weeks ago about my brother Chase, who was uh, looking at the Mormon church again. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I just wanted to let you know that's going a lot better now, now that I've stopped fighting it and uh, just kind of saw it as his will, uh, the Lord's will. Um, But uh, there's progress on that. But uh, I wanted to ask you a question about this Calvinist issue and also to make a comment. Yeah. Um, You haven't mentioned Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul has, um, there's a man in their congregation is doing some sinful things. And Paul basically says he's hopeless, but... He says, I uh, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Um,
0: How do you interpret that?
3: I interpret that as I I don't see it saying, give him over to Satan so that he will be destroyed and burned forever. It says so that his spirit may be saved. Um, And the way that I see that is he's not the first fruits. He's to be resurrected at a, as you said, a, a, a later time. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not saved. It clearly says the spirit may be saved.
0: Yeah. You know, the what people would argue that, um, uh, Jordan, is they would say this is a believer who has fallen into sin. Deliver him over to Satan, meaning in while he's alive, get him out of the church, let him go the ways of the world, and and so that he will have his flesh eaten away he'll be saved in his spirit when he dies because he's a believer but in his flesh he will erode that's how that is often interpreted but i think what you're saying has some merit to it we have to look at it a little bit closer in the greek but i think it's a good insight
3: well speaking speaking of greek um i i had one more question for you yeah um james white okay i'm not a fan of his um I think he's very legalistic, but he made an interesting point, which I'd like to hear your response to. Um, and I'm not familiar with Greek. Um, he made the comment that those, the word that is used for eternal when it comes to hell in the Bible, and which you have said is for only a time, is the same word that's used for eternal life in, for instance, John 3.16. And I was wondering if his point was, if their suffering is only for a time, then our salvation is only for a time. How do you respond to that?
0: I would agree that he's right, that the word uh, uh, aeon and ainos is uh, the same word used for eternal life. It's the same word used for eternal God. It's the same word used for eternal damnation. But the problem is not that it says that, The problem is their interpretation. What they do is they say, because we say that can't be true, we are going to say that because we know God is eternal, therefore hell is eternal too. But let me just say this. Jesus, it says in in Hebrews that Jesus will do this and this and this and this until, and then he will, and something changes. So we have epochs or periods of time where we have no idea what is in store. We don't know what that means, but we do know that the Greek says uh, age abiding relative to them. It does not say eternal. It doesn't mean eternal. So I know it's really easy to say, well, let's just forget it. God's eternal. We will, our salvation will be eternal. Let's leave it as that. But that's not what the scripture says. So we have to go by what it says. That's my point. Another thing is there are other Greek words that could easily have been used to describe all of these things that mean forever and ever and ever and ever, and they never are. There's a reason for that. And the, the, so let God be true and every man a liar. God is telling us the truth in this book. Men are saying, I don't accept that because I know that my salvation's eternal. So I'm just gonna say that hell's eternal too. But it's not fair. It's not sound thinking. But we're gonna talk more about uh, Aeon and Iainos in the uh, next two weeks, and maybe that will help all of us.
3: Yes. Hey, one, one last question for you. Yeah. Have you are you familiar with uh, the British theologian N. T. Wright?
0: Yeah. Do, what do you? How do you feel about him? I don't, I'm just familiar with the name, and I think I've seen commentaries and stuff, but I don't know uh, his work. You should really look
3: into his stuff. He has uh, transformed the way that I view Christianity, and you and I seem to be very like-minded. So I, I think you would really appreciate the work that he's done.
0: I'll check it out, Jordan. Hey, thanks for for watching, my friend.
3: Thank you, Sean. God bless you, man.
0: God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Mark in Boise, Idaho. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Mark? Hey, Sean.
4: What's up? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I just had a question for you. I was, uh, you were just telling Alicia or whatever, you know, to find the truth out, to really talk to God, you know, ask him, and he'll direct you, and... He keeps directing me to these uh, areas that I'm just kind of uh, scary to go. But uh, you have you heard of Atwell, uh, the Flavians?
0: Did you call before and ask if I've heard of Flavius?
4: Yeah, I did, and you <laughs> told me to quit smoking dope and I need to get off the wheat and call you next time with you know. To figure well, you do out.
0: sound a little more clear-headed right now, Mark. <laughs>
4: And that was a little, that was hard on me because I thought, wow, I just didn't know how I was asking the question or what. But
0: I don't know Atwells. I don't know Flavius like you do. What is? Tell us about it really quickly.
4: Well, Josephus and uh, Titus Flavius was uh, uh, back in Caesar's time. Okay. And they, they say that maybe uh, the Catholics created uh, Christianity to, you know, domain people and from then on it's pretty much done what they've created it to do
0: well i would agree with that to a certain extent i mean the catholics took took the uh, gospel of jesus christ that is plain and simple in the word of god they didn't do the number on the bible but they took it and they put mary and they put in eucharist and they put in Wrote prayer and they started saying call people father when Jesus said call no man father. I mean they, they did a number on Christianity and I and I believe that. So I don't think there's I think there's truth to that, but I don't think uh, Josephus or Flavius the the captain of uh, Titus's army for Rome created Christianity. I think that's just as big of a myth as what Catholicism came up with. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you know, do you read the Bible, Mark? Yeah, I do,
4: and I've uh, I've read it once.
0: It can be dry. I know parts of it can kill you, but
4: I've read it once, and I'm continuing to read it. But I also watch a lot of like you and a lot of YouTube videos, and I'm just going in circles. And I do I like I say I talk to God 15 minutes in the morning on my way to work. No radio, just me and him, and I just keep getting this craziness, and I tell people, and they're like, wow. And it's like, well, you don't know what happened t- 2,000 years ago. You know, well, all we have to go by is what this Illuminati group, which I consider, you know, the Catholics Illuminati group, they're, they, don't, they basically rule the world today well, in, in a lot of ways.
0: But Mark, the Bible that you read predates all of that by several hundred years. So when you're talking about religion, maybe you have some good points, but just remember the Bible that you have comes from resources from antiquity that have been established, that are interrelated, that provide prophetic material from true geographic places, read what it says. You're gonna find if you, if you spend more time in that and less time on hypothesis of what's happened to it all, you'll be stronger in the faith. And you will, it says, faith comes by hearing, that means means reading too, the Word of God. So when you hear it read and taught and explained, your faith grows and it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you'll be able, so I don't think there's anything wrong with pursuing esoteric stuff. I do it all the time. I look at everything and read everything. But I am firmly grounded and established in this, so that my faith can offset those things that tend to sway us really quickly. I get what you mean. Don't be afraid of information, but make sure you gauge it against what the Word of God has placed before you.
4: Well, was it Flavius around back in the, like the, the the year seventy, and yeah. Jesus died at thirty thirty-three? Yeah, and then the. Bible pretty much got written like King James Version in what 1500
0: no no no
4: what what year was the King James Version written
0: well the King James Version is not the Bible we have the Textus Receptus that's what brought forth the King James but we also have Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus those are other things those have nothing to do with it we have manuscript evidence that predates all of those Bibles that have come forward. The Bible was not written in 1500. The Bible was written by, began with Moses, 1500 years before Christ was born, and was added to over time by an assortment of different writers. And if you read Norman Geisler's books, how, you got, how we got the Bible, or even, uh, what's the guy's name who wrote uh, uh, more than a carpenter, Josh McDowell. Evidence demands a verdict. Get Josh McDowell's book. Evidence demands a verdict. It's very easy reading, and it will show you how the Bible came about. And what you're citing right there is not how the Bible came about. All right, my friend. I got a hit. All right.
4: Thank you. I'll do that. I wrote it down. I'll do it. I'll continue.
0: Good man. You know, seekers, Mark. Seekers of truth. They will find. It's those who say, ah, I've discovered I'm stopping to seek. And that means even in the church, you become a Christian doesn't mean you stop seeking. We seek for truth all the time, and he will enlighten you as you keep that open. Let him guide you and use the word to judge, but seek, and you will find. Now, listen, one last thing, Mark, forgive me for the pot smoking reference. Right. Will you forgive me?
4: I do forgive you because actually I used to do that and that's part of my concentration and part of my speech and all that's that, all right. you know. So I probably came across to you like I was an idiot because I was kind of scared and didn't know a lot of what I was saying. But then I watched the video again and again. I got to learn it more and I thought, oh, wow, this is crazy. But anyway, <laughs> yes, I do. Hey,
0: listen, Mark, because our <laughs> paths are similar, I'm able to understand you when you talk. So we're right. all okay. All right, my brother. Love you.
4: Okay, man. Thanks. Appreciate T- your show and continue.
0: <laughs> you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. All Goodbye. bye Hey, listen, this is from Ray. We're going to wrap it up with this. I recently listened to a church sermon on Christianity where the pastor specifically hit on tithing. I consider myself a born-again Christian with Christ leading and guiding my life. I was Mormon, but no way am I going back to the bondage of any other church bondage. Specifically, I was concerned with specific comments on tithing this pastor made. If you don't tithe, you rob God. You are disobedient to God. And he says, Mormons are not this strong that, uh, as this pastor should be an LDS prophet. And then he said, you should tithe to your local church before giving to any other cause. Not biblical. Tithing's not biblical. And uh, it's biblical in the sense of Old Testament and, and uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees of robbing widows' mites, but it's not biblical. Jesus, um, Paul said, look at be a cheerful giver. That's all he said, be a cheerful giver. Give 1%, give 1,000%, be a cheerful giver. That's all it is. There are no laws. Tithing is 10%. This pastor is wrong. He said, he went on, you can go to heaven if you don't tithe, but you will ride at the back of the bus. <laughs> if I'm a born-again Christian and have Christ as my guide in my life, he writes, I believe I can decide to whom and how I, might, I should donate, and you are absolutely right absolutely right. Don't let these pastors and their greed and their need to have paid vacations and all the stuff that they do. And they keep telling you to tithe. Don't let them do it to you. They're lying to you because they know good and well what the New Testament says about tithing. And if you have a question about that, we'll send you the book, uh, A to Z, for free. And you read, go to the T section, read tithing, and you will see exactly what it means in the biblical sense. And it is done away with under Christ. You become a cheerful giver or none at all. So uh, with that, we'll wrap it up next week. We're gonna continue on. We're gonna start getting into the Greek with the words and try to decipher through some of this stuff. We'll see you then here on Heart of the Matter. Good job, peeps.